telling you and I'm telling everybody at this table that that's a shark. And I know what a shark looks like because I've seen one up close. And you better do something about this one because I don't intend to go through that hell again. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dana Buckler Show. My name is Dana, and I am incredibly pleased to welcome back to the show my friend Kelly Goodner. Kelly hasn't been on the podcast since 2018's episode on The Exorcist. How are you? How have you been? Welcome back. Well, I think I um, used everything I had on the last podcast, and it's taken me two years to recharge. So, <laughs> you know, I am ready to go again. Um, but yeah, I've been good. I've just been working, writing, um, watching movies. What's the five last five months been like for you? Oh, um, I actually... Uh, kind of for a while got a good routine going because I didn't have any interruptions whatsoever. Um, and I'm a writer, so I write from home. So that part was normal. But there was no more like, oh, there's a screening tonight. Are we going out to it? You know, that was over. So <laughs> my daily schedule got a lot, you know, more rigorous. So I've gotten a lot done, you know, in my writing and house projects and things like that. Um, but even for me, who's an inside person, it has gotten to be a bit much. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'm like going out in the sunlight and just standing there, you know, which is not something I do. I do the same thing. It's so funny you say that. I literally do the same thing. Like, like any morning, you can just find me kind of just aimlessly walking around the complex where I live, you know, yeah. 7.30 in the morning, just letting that morning sun hit me. So, I completely I'm understand. not something I ever felt the need to do before, but now I'm just like, I, you know, outside has its perks, I guess. <laughs> Now that I can't have them. Sure. No, absolutely. Well, we're all hopeful. I know we, we were talking a little bit before we uh, we started recording. You know, we're all hopeful that we're, we're heading in the right direction, hopefully, and things will eventually get back to, to you know, the routines that we are, are accustomed to, hopefully. Yeah, I hope so. I think probably eh, early next year. Sure. So, so it should be no surprise to any of the listeners that eventually I would have to do an episode where I tackle you know, my favorite film of all time and a lot of people's favorite films of all time. But I wanted to do something a little bit different. Instead of just talking about the film Jaws, which let's be honest, everybody talks about the film Jaws. I wanted Kelly to come on the show so we could have a discussion about the entire franchise because I feel like the sequels are often, well, for lack of a better term, often maligned compared to the original, which you know, obviously there's an argument to be made for that. But I think there's some good in some of these sequels. And I, I really wanted to bring Kelly on so we could sort of break these films down. So Kelly, first question I'll ask you is, what does the film Jaws mean to you? And where do you rank it amongst your favorite films? Um, It's definitely top three. It's often number one. Um, haven't I haven't done a reassessment recently, to be sure, but it's it's top three. Um, and I grew up in Florida, so the beach is always a thing. And, you know, so therefore, I was aware of sharks very early. And Jaws, so it was, it was like, a you know, childhood trauma, is, <laughs> as for most people, what Jaws was for me. Um, but as I learned more about screenwriting and became more mature, then it wasn't just about the shark eating people. It was like, oh, my gosh, this is such a great film. And it's so well made. And I, you know, learned from it all the time. So it's definitely it's changed over the years. You know, looking at it from like you said from a, from a screenwriter's perspective, in theory, well, sort of if you were just basically if if somebody was to just 
who has never seen the film, has never heard of it, they asked you to tell them what Jaws is about. Essentially, you see, it seems like you're going to be describing the plot of a typical B movie from the 1970s. It's about a killer shark that terrorizes a New England town until three men have to go out and try to kill the shark. Like, on paper, that sounds like just a kind of a throwaway B movie. But Mm -hmm. from a screenwriter's perspective, what is it about this script that really sets this film, sets this apart from so many other sort of typical B movies of the 1970s. I think for one thing, um, Spielberg, <laughs> I mean, when you watch the sequels, that's kind of what you think is like, what does the first one have that this one doesn't have? And you do kind of keep coming back to Spielberg, but it's, you know, he likes an adventure film. You know, you can see some Moby Dick in there, you know, some John Huston, like those kind of adventure films, like a mutiny on the bounty kind of feeling you get from it, you know, that you wouldn't get from just a creature feature. And I also think, I mean, kind of what we're living through right now, you know, you watch Jaws a little differently during the pandemic when it's you're looking at local governments and big governments saying like, well, it's going to cost a lot of money. We're going to lose all the tourism. <laughs> Should we, you know, uh, really close the beach right now, even though probably someone's going to die? And I think that's really the element. And I would say the same thing for aliens. You know, it's it's the element of the the corporation or the government or whatever that's like the you know, it's obvious what you should do. You should go kill the shark. Like, it seems so stupid that there's any dilly-dally and it's the stupid local government. <laughs> like, that's really the the bigger enemy than the shark. You know, it's interesting because have you read the book? Um, Years ago as a kid. There's a really interesting angle in the book with the mayor. Uh, you know, he's involved with uh, some organized crime elements that have to do with real estate on the on the beach and on, on Amity. And this is why huh. he is so steadfast against closing the beaches. And I, I just think that would have been it might have been an interesting angle to explore in the movie. But I understand you got to keep a very contained story. But I always thought that was such an interesting angle uh, as to why the mayor wouldn't close the beaches. Right. Yeah, I mean, you could probably go quite a bit off topic if you went too far down it. But yeah, I mean, especially now it's like, oh, this is actually believable, which when I was rewatching it, not that I don't rewatch it plenty. um, I was thinking, you know, was Spielberg like thinking the Holocaust or something, you know, like, like, he's clearly very involved in this, how do a bunch of people make a terrible decision like this. Um, and I never thought about that before. Like, I never really thought about it being anything but small town mindset. You know, I wasn't really thinking about it being maybe like a, a governmental comment until this recent time that I watched it. Can you recall the first time you saw the film? Um, no, because I saw it in snippets, you know, over the years before I actually watched it, you know, it would come on TV and I would see like a little bit of it in the like scream and leave the room. Um, so I don't remember when I finally watched it completely. I was at least over 10, I will oh, say. Okay. This film, like for Spielberg, I, I watched this film. I've seen it, uh, you know, the, the cliche thing to say is I've seen it more than a hundred times. That's probably accurate. When I yeah. say when I say this, there's always sort of these jaw on the floor moments when I'm watching the film, and it, it doesn't even necessarily have to do with the with the shark attack sequences or the shark sequences. It is how he how he shot this film, the incredibly long single takes that he does, the scene on the ferry, mm-hmm. the scene when they're when Dreyfus and Scheider and Murray Hamilton are arguing over you know closing the beaches in front of the the big billboard, like that's all done in one single take, mm-hmm. and. I'm just fascinated to hear your thoughts on his directing style in the film. I mean, I think in general, in that period, there were, you would see a lot more of that. And he still does it, you know, a long blocked 
take. And, um, you know, De Palma would do it. Like, I always enjoy watching those guys. Marty will do it. Marty, as if I know him. Martin Scorsese. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know who I met. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a, like, style of choreographing the camera that we don't really see that much anymore. But I also, like, for one thing, it doesn't break up the performance. You know, it's easier for the actors. But um, I think in this case... Being outside, trying to match the light, trying to match the, you know, like on the ferry scene, for instance, the boat rocking and stuff, it's probably a little easier to do it in one, you know, than than covering it from different angles and having to reset on sand and all of that. Sure. I mean, I don't think that's the sole reason he did it, but I'm sure it helped. The other thing that I think is incredibly fascinating about this film is this mechanical shark that they created, Bruce, it never worked. Yeah. And if you were to look at the storyboards for, you know, the original storyboards for this film, like you were supposed to see as a viewer, you were supposed to see the shark in the opening sequence. You Mm -hmm. were supposed to see the shark throughout the entire film, but it never worked. So Spielberg had to become incredibly creative with a lot of POV shots and, and, you know, the use of the barrels. And, and to me, the most frightening Mm -hmm. scene in the film is when the the two guys are, are, uh, are trying to catch the shark with uh, the one guy's holiday roast and, and, (laughs) and and the doc just spins around and starts coming back towards them with Uh the, with John Williams score. Like to me, that still gives me chills no matter how many times I watch it. I'm wondering, this is a question I always like to ask people. Are we having a discussion about Steven Spielberg in 2020 if the shark actually worked the way it was supposed to? (laughs) Um, yeah, I think we are. Okay. (laughs) I think he's done plenty. Um, but yeah, I, I think it'll be fine. But, I do think he did learn some things there that he's used. Actually, I don't know if he learned them there, but he's reused, you know, like the using things to represent the shark so that you don't have to see the shark. You know, he does some of that in Jurassic Park with the water glass that vibrates. So it's like techniques that he continues to use. But I guess what I'm saying is like those techniques, he kind of had to learn. Like you said, you're right. Some of them he learned probably prior to Jaws, but. He came up with a pretty creative bag of tricks because of Jaws. And I'm, I'm yeah. just wondering, you know, if that, if that hadn't happened, if the shark had worked, how long it would have taken for him to sort of assemble that bag of tricks, if you will. It's a, I think it's a, it's a really interesting hypothesis, if you will. But it's, you know, the, the bottom line is he became who he is because of that film. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, you know, it, movies shot so differently back then too. You know, they could sit around while the shark didn't work, you know, and they could sit around while the gremlins didn't work and gremlins. And so, you know, they had longer shooting schedules and had time to think up, you know, creative solutions. Now, I I mean, I'm not saying that they that everyone would have thought up the creative solution Spielberg thought up, but it is more difficult now, I think, to think of those things and make the adjustments on set because the um, shooting schedules are just short, you know, and you don't have these like like on Jaws 2, for instance, where they switched out the director. And so everyone's just sitting there for two weeks and they'll just build some stuff and do whatever. Like that doesn't happen so much anymore. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't think about that. Like nowadays, like this movie went, what, 100 days? I'm just like roughly 100 days over schedule. I think it was originally slated for 59 days and went 100, 100 and something days. You're saying basically what you're saying is that would never happen today. They would just shut the production yeah. down, right? Yeah. I mean, I think to keep trying stuff on the water, you know, unless it's somebody who they know it's going to be a battle and they scheduled for it and all of that pre-booked in that it was going to, you know, have trial and error time. I think, you know, now it's just different with digital effects, too. 
But yeah, you usually if nowadays if something like that goes wrong or you lose a big actor or something like that, it's just over. You know, like oops, that movie didn't work. <laughs> you know, it's like whereas they used to retool and um, find a way to make it work. One more thing about this particular film, because like I said, I really want to move on to the sequels because that's that's where I think the the, the meat of this discussion is going to be. But mm-hmm. I want to just kind of a couple things I want to ask you about this film. This movie was the first one to break $100 million. It coined the term blockbuster. This film was never thought of as a franchise. You know, mm-hmm. like, like nowadays movies are planned franchises, planned multi-universes right. and the whole things like that. So I'm just curious if you could maybe tell the listeners about what it meant to even make a sequel in the seventies. And uh, the reason I say that putting the, the sort of the Godfather two aside, which is sort of a continuation of the story sequels, especially in the 1970s were considered a, a far lesser product. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, I think that's probably why Spielberg didn't do the second one. I mean, I, you know, maybe he was already on to something else, but I do think they were still not as respected for sure. You were mentioning that you have a top 10 list of your top 10 <laughs> favorite shark films. I wonder if when we go between film and film, you could give us like the, the three, three or so from your list. Like, Oh, okay. Um, <clears throat> 10 would be Jaws 2. Okay. Interesting. All right. We'll save that discussion for just a moment. What's number nine? Uh, Jaws for Revenge. Oh, <laughs> interesting. All right. <laughs> And this is good because uh, there's quite a few shark movies left. So, um, yeah. I, by the way, I have a prediction for what I think your number two film is going to be, but I'm going to okay. wait. I'm going to wait. Uh, what's your number eight film on the list? Um, I just discovered this one. I just watched it a few weeks ago, um, and it is Deep Blue Sea 3. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. It's, I, I like to keep up with that franchise, too, and um, I was very pleasantly surprised. I mean, it made the top ten. Okay, interesting. I haven't seen Deep Blue Sea 2, let alone 3, so should I be you looking really at it? don't really need to. It's, it's different people. It's a different setting, you know. Okay. Anything you need to know, they tell you an exposition in the third one. Gotcha. <laughs> okay, awesome. I mean, you can watch it if you want, but, you know, it's... Three is its own thing. Okay. All right. So just so I, just to recap there, Jaws 2, Jaws the Revenge, Deep Blue Sea 3. It's interesting. There's still another yeah. Jaws movie left on this list. Uh, left <laughs> so Jaws 2 came out in 1978. And from what I was reading, the producers Richard Zanuck and David Brown really didn't initially want to do a sequel. The executives, uh, uh, Sid Sheinberg at Universal, like they were like, just like a week after the original Jaws came out, they're like, yeah, we have to do another one of these. And Zanuck and Brown, yeah. We're like, no, we don't really want to do this. But they ultimately realized that if they didn't do it, someone else was going to. So they got on board with it. And you mentioned right. that Spielberg, he didn't want any part of this. He he said he had made a shark film and he had moved on to uh, his next movie, which was Close Encounters of the Third Kind. The original script did have a role for Matt Hooper, but Richard Dreyfus decided to move on with Spielberg, which probably in hindsight was probably a smart move on his part because Close Encounters of the Third Kind is, a, is an absolute masterpiece and, and Dreyfus is fantastic in it. They were able to get Roy Scheider in this film because he was contractually obligated. He was on a three-picture deal with Universal, so he did not want any part of this film. So the first question I'm going to ask you is, what are your what's your overall thoughts on Jaws 2? And then I've got a few more questions after that. Well, one thing I would add, and I don't know that this played a part, but uh, Lorraine Gary, who is um, Roy Scheider's wife in the film and who, you know, makes it through to Jaws through the revenge, was Sid Sheinberg's wife. 
So that may have been part of the reason that they wanted to make one so badly. It was like his wife was in the biggest movie, you know, in the world. Um, so he was probably, you know, personally motivated to do another one. Sure. Um, sure. Anyway, I think Roy Scheider coming back, I mean, you can feel that he's not all that invested. And then they split, you know, the enthusiasm between him and the teens to try to, you know, take some of the pressure off, I guess. But I, uh, I don't know. I, I enjoy Jaws too. And they seemed like I watched the, um, behind the scenes documentary about it. Have you seen that? I have. Yeah. And it seemed like they eventually all got on board, you know, all the producers and they felt very protective about it. But I think that how you were saying before that a lot of times franchises feel like they're made by or sequels feel like they're made by committee. And I do think that that's the main thing I would say about Jaws 2 is that everybody, I feel like, kind of loved it or had, you know, some attachment to it. But it was just being made by committee and there wasn't like a Spielberg there to mold it and form it in the same way. It's, and it's interesting because you had mentioned that they replaced a director on it. They mm-hmm. can you speak to the story about that? Um, I think there are some different stories. I had heard it's John Hancock, and I had heard that um, he and Roy Scheider didn't get along. But I really don't know. I know that they were, you know, the studio wasn't liking the dailies or whatever, and I guess the personalities maybe weren't gelling, and so. Anyway, then they brought in our favorite, Jeno Swark. Absolutely. I love Jeno Swark. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what are you talking about? He, he did Supergirl. That's all you need to know. <laughs> well, and so I thought he would be kind of a crazy man. And um, in that Making Up documentary, everything he said, I thought, mm, that's really smart. That makes a lot of sense. I completely get it. But I think that um, him taking over just kind of did make things a little choppier, even though, you know, I think he generally makes good decisions. Um, Last night, I watched Bug. Have you ever seen that that he directed? I haven't, no. And it's like cockroaches. There's an earthquake, and cockroaches come out of the earthquake, and they can start fires. And that was, like, I guess the movie that put him on the map. And um, and it was completely un-Supergirl-ish. You know, it was like... Um, really well put together. And so I think it's just when he takes over these productions that are troubled, you know, I think he doesn't uh, stand a chance of making them completely smoothed out. I'm going to make the case that this is actually, I I think this is actually a really enjoyable film. I do too. Yeah. And I've, I was watching it and I thought to myself, like in 78, if you were looking for a sequel and and what are the, what, what, what are the rules of a sequel? A sequel is supposed to be bigger, you know, how would you define the, the, the definitive rules of a sequel? I don't like to say that there have to be rules because then I think you can predict it too easily. You know, like twos always have doubles, you know, in this one, it's Roy Scheider and the teens, you know, the, you have the dual plots. And I mean, I'm not saying that that's overkill, but um, they do always get bigger. They usually bring in doubles. There's certain things that tend to happen in second movies. And I think, like, I like people to try new things because I don't like to always know where it's going. And in the case of Jaws 2, what are some of the new, th- what new things do you feel like the film brought to the table? Well, I do think opening it out because the first one was just a one man story, essentially. So he had like his his friends, you know, that were on the adventure with him, but it was Roy Scheider's story. Um, and then ever since in every other movie, it opens it up and has more plot lines for more characters, you know, that you're intercutting between. So I think that's the main thing, the main big change, you know, you see the shark more that, that changed the whole series quite a bit. And it, it also introduced this idea for the series of 
that every movie is this generational thing and that for some reason we're following the kids as they grow up. Like, this is the kids as teens, the next one's the kids in their 20s, the next one's the kids as parents, you know. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, but in this one, the reason it does still feel akin to the first one is one, Roy Scheider, Murray Hamilton, like all the actors, um, but they also used uh, the same molds for the shark. So it, you know, still feels like your main stars are there. Roy Scheider and the shark are still, you know, meeting head to head. And I do think that makes quite a big difference because in the other ones, I feel like the shark is always changing shape and size and stuff. (laughs) This one feels, you know, connected. One of the things I always think is interesting about Jaws, too, as I was reading up that one of the original screenplays sort of had was going to be sort of the idea that these things were happening. Uh, these incidents were happening and Roy Scheider suspected it might have been a shark, but you don't actually mm-hmm. see the shark and until like the halfway point of the film. And so you're wondering, along with Chief Brody, whether he's crazy based on right. sort of some PTSD he suffered or if there really is a shark. And I think that would have been an interesting angle to go with. But um, yeah, they, they kind of kept it and you can sort of feel it still being there because pretty early you're like, why does he think it's a shark necessarily? <laughs> you know, but he's all, you know, he's like having those feelings. And I'm like, really, nothing else has ever happened in all these years. And like now it's back and um, and nobody believes him until like at least the whale you know, the beached whale that clearly like a shark killed. Um, but yeah, it's still kind of there. And then it sort of sticks around this idea of like this psychological connection to the sharks kind of sticks around for the whole rest of the series. It, it very, very subtly, like it keeps getting put in and taken out, but there's still a remnant. Yes. And then it will come full to. A, and then it's the revenge. Yeah. It just, <laughs> they let it take over. Like, literally in the title, in the tagline of the, of the film's title. I love it. Uh, with Jaws 2, what is your favorite scene in the film? I mean, I really like when the shark is, when it finally catches up to all the teenagers. You know, again, I like climaxes. Um, I like that one. Of course, the water skier, um, blowing up scene i like as well the lady in the speedboat but i i really like the the climax with the kids because those whatever they are catamarans or something those trampolines floating trampolines <laughs> are on that the um the shark comes up the middle of i can't with that yeah Too, i don't even know what they were thinking going out in those <laughs> oh but that was an interesting thing on the um the behind the scenes is that carl gottlieb like this is not a thing necessarily he just thought like oh it's a um beach town so they would you know maybe not cruise in their cars and show off you know their cars at different i don't know what kind of places the drive-in or whatever they go and cruise around in boats but it's not like really a real thing. It makes sense though. Like it's, t- it's it does make it's sense. Com- it works. I mean, I totally bought it as yeah. a child. I'm like, sure. It's completely believable. My, the scene that always gets me the most is of course, when two scenes, the helicopter scene, which to mm-hmm. this day, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I never understood why in the theatrical cut, you, well, okay. You tell me, what do you prefer? In the theatrical cut of the film, the shark comes up, brings that tiny helicopter. And I have to admit, it's a very small helicopter. And he was going to mm-hmm. tow that. He was going to tow them all to Cable Junction, that little helicopter. I, <laughs> I, the more I've learned about helicopters, cable the more I'm like, I don't know if that's a thing. And by the way, Cable jun- Junction, not a real thing. Made up yeah. for the movie. I love that. Oh, also very to learn was that that those rocks they were on at the end were just on a barge. Like yeah. they were, you know, just fake um scenery kind of rocks that they would just pull around different parts of the ocean i love it 
No, it's, 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 it's amazing. Like I am, and I make no bones about this. Like I am 100% pro practical effects 100% mm-hmm. of the time, if possible. So I, yeah. that's why I love movies from the seventies and eighties. Just for that, one of the, that reason alone is just, you tell me the movie is okay, but it's all uh, the stunts are all practical. I'm in. I can't wait to watch it. Oh, I am too. Although again, um, watching some of the supplemental materials, Keith Gordon talking about his time getting bumped by the shark, his scene. And it's just really him. And he's just a 16 year old kid. He has no training. And they've got this like, you know, 2000 pound mechanical shark. They're like, it's going to hit you really hard. Okay. Just go wherever it takes you. <laughs> but like, he's in the ocean. He's in the middle of the ocean. That's, a, that's I mean, never today would they do that. Never. never. And maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. <laughs> but, that that's that just adds to why I love you know these movies like I listen I I love Jaws I have made the case a few times on the show like I really like Jaws too like I think it is a really yeah, watchable there film. There are times when I was a, a young kid I thought it was better than the first one. Yeah. I always when I was growing up said Jaws two is better because I felt like more happened you know. But then once I got older and got into the story of the first one, then it was like oh no contest but i did really like the um i did always like the second one i like the electrocution you know i i like it quite a bit and and if you've ever been oh rest in peace jaws ride at universal in yeah florida the most like it yeah yeah because that's how they that's how the shark you know meets its demise in florida is mm-hmm. is the jaws 2 ending and living yeah, it comes up all charred yeah you know? so that was really i mean I'm the person on that ride that the tour guide always makes fun of, you know, because I used to be terrified. I mean, I'm sure I still would be, but I haven't been on it in a while. I haven't been... I haven't, I haven't been to Universal in, uh, in Los Angeles, Universal in Hollywood. So I've never been to mm-hmm. that one, but I understand that you see the shark when you're on the, the, the studio tour, correct? Yes, but I only know that I actually haven't been on it either. I have only been like on the lot and I've seen it, but not really through the, the actual ride and park I haven't been to. I've been to Harry Potter World. No. Terrible, terrible. Well, I get, I'm lucky that I live 45 minutes from Universal Orlando. Well, none of that matters right now, but back in the day, yeah. <laughs> back in the day, it was really, you know, uh, I was there when Harry Potter, Harry Potter World opened up. It was, it was awesome, but I'll never forget them taking away the Jaws ride. It, it just broke my heart. I mean, that was the reason I went to Universal. Just- oh, yeah. I was what I was afraid of the entire day. And I was like, you know, every time at the end of the day, I guess we don't have time to do it. <laughs> and, you know, they were like, we can do it. I don't want to go on a whole tangent about Universal Studios, but my God, the Back to the Future ride, the King Kong ride, like, uh, that stuff was awesome. It's all, oh, I it's love all gone. Yeah, Back to the Future. That one was so incredible. Good. That was incredible. Like, but back, back to what I was saying, sort of about with Jaws 2, you mentioned that there was, in some cases, you, you, when you were younger, you liked it better than the original. Jaws 2, I actually saw Jaws 2 before I saw the original Jaws. For some uh-huh. reason, like growing up in Canada, I grew up on the East Coast and a lot of our television programming came in through Maine. So we would pick up ABC, NBC, CBS television stations in, where I'm from in Canada. And for some reason... I remember, not for some reason, but I remember ABC used to show Jaws 2 all the time yeah. as their Sunday night movie of the week. Mm-hmm. And my um, my dad would tape it on VHS. And that goes back to what I was talking about with the helicopter scene. In the, in the, in the theatrical cut, the helicopter just flips upside down and that's it. 
but on the sort of oh. the, the television version of it, or, you know, they, they have it as a deleted scene, you actually see the helicopter pilot submerged underwater with the shark attacking him. Oh, wow. Yeah, because I saw that in the behind the scenes um, footage, and I was like, why on earth did they cut that? That's terrifying. Back in the day when movies would show on ABC, it was all about how long was the movie and how much commercial time could they put in it. And and Jaws 2 was, I think, just a hair over two hours. And they had to add a few things to it to, to... fit the commercial profile or something to that effect. And so they added a couple scenes and that was one of them. Well, I heard too, I think if I'm remembering correctly, that on Jaws 2, they wanted to make sure they got a PG. And so they wanted to cut some of the scarier, less essential things. Yeah, And so that that was one of them too. On Jaws 2, the scariest, I think the scariest scene is when the girl is helping Sean get back into the, get on top of the overturned sailing ship. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, and that is, and when you watch the behind the scenes of how they did that, like that's just a perfect ca- camera angle because it mm-hmm. literally looks like the shark is swallowing her whole. Like it's just yeah. so well done and just terrifying. And how traumatized do you think those teenagers are, the ones that survived? Like how do you? I know. How do you live I a normal life? I thought that I was like, dude, these guys, you know, even the sons who are out there now, I don't think so. I don't think after the first one, he's getting back out there. You know, just like what happened to his dad. I don't. I don't know. Like his in the first one, he sees the 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 scoutmaster. You know, the guy right. on the boat. You know, he sees him murdered by the shark, killed by the shark. And then the shark swims right past him. Like, how are you ever getting in the water, let alone every day begging your dad to let you take your sailboat out? Like, how does that even yeah. happen? I mean, like, as if there's just one, you know, where did it come from? <laughs> um, th- there could definitely be others. But I guess they kind of dealt with that in the series by saying that that older brother is um, he's the one who becomes the marine biologist. Yeah. You know, whereas the younger brother is the one who's terrified of the water. Right. In the movie in the third one he said they they say that sean went to school in colorado that's how much he hated the water right of course in the fourth one he's i guess the chief of police of amity again but we'll, we'll get yeah, to that now he's like a deputy and he's fine going out in the water yeah no problem Bad idea at night no problem any last thoughts on jaws 2 i don't think so um, I don't know. I think that's about it okay I think we covered it all right uh going back to your list of your your top oh. 10 shark films. We already did uh, 10, 9, and 8. So, what's number 7 on your list? Uh, number 7 is The Shallows, that oh. Blake Lively movie. I haven't seen that. Is that worth checking out? I know it's on your list, so that's that's a that's a solid recommendation yeah. right now. But I don't think everyone likes it. It's heavily, you know, digital, but it looks very good. Um, and it's, I think what I like about it, like when I've rewatched it, it's not the high energy thrill ride I remembered it being. Because the first time I saw it, I was just so on edge, you know, the whole time. And the second time, you know, like kind of how the plot's going to go. So I wasn't as on edge. But I still really like the idea of it's like, well, the concept being there's this beach nobody goes to. And it's got like, you know, sentimental value to Blake Lively. And so she goes out there to surf for her mom or something. And she gets stranded on this rock. And like the, um, cause she gets hit by a shark, you know, and it like hurts her leg. So she's stranded out there for like days. And she's somehow got to get, you know, from this rock to the beach when there's this huge shark in there that wants to eat her. 
And so just it's kind of like a like an open water thing. It's just more one on one. And that's interesting. And it's a beach. It's it's a place that nobody goes to. So it's yeah, not it's like, like she- a secret beach, like a private beach that just the coolest surfers know about or something, you know, and so nobody's coming. Oh, wow. And what's that Somehow coming? I'm going to have to actually swim. What are we looking at about a, just a typical quick 90 minute film? Yeah. Yeah. So it's very it's, tight, but it's, um, oh, I forget the name of the director right now, but he's huge and does, um, like action stuff. You know, it's very, the action is really strong. It's not low budget at all. Well, I'm looking for something to watch tonight, and I had me Deep Blue Sea 3 on my list, and uh, it <laughs> You're might. You're never going to trust me again. <laughs> it might get bumped for the shallows tonight because I'm looking for something to watch this evening. So, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm curious as to what you think. It's, um, you know, it's more, it's contemporary. But I, I really enjoyed it. I I tend to go for interesting locations or an interesting twist to the shark thing. And I liked it just being one on one, her and the shark. That's interesting. All right. Well I'm gonna I'm gonna that one's on my list. There's a few shark movies that I'm I'm like I'm about to say, well, what about this one? But I'm gonna wait until you're done with your list. Because okay. I don't wanna I don't wanna spoil the rest of your list. And and listeners, I don't know what's on Kelly's list. I told her, <laughs> don't don't tell me. I just want to hear this in real time when we're recording. So the next one on your list is what film? Forty seven meters down two uncaged. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, okay. I mean these could you know, depending on my mood, these might change around some days, but it was a real surprise. Um, it is like, it has nothing to do with 47 meters down. (laughs) You do not need to know what happened in that one, um, to know what happens in this one, but it has Sylvester Stallone's daughter in it, which is fun. And then it's about these like teenagers and they go, um, into this again, secret cave place, uh, where they found like an underwater Mayan city or something, you know, like all these relics. And so like divers are going down there and checking it out. And the kids, you know, know this is happening and are like, yeah, well, while they're not here, we're going to go down and check it out. And there's a ghost shark or something in there. It's not really a ghost shark, but it's like it's only ever been in the dark of like the caves. And it's, you know, again, new, different um, and really well done, I thought. I love it. All right. Interesting. I got some, I got a tough choice to make tonight. All right. So what, give us one more on your list and we're going to talk about Jaws 3 for a few minutes. Okay. Uh, Number five is Bait. Bait. Okay. Have you seen that one? And that's where it's like a flooded grocery store and the shark's like in the parking garage and. I've seen the, I've seen the trailer for Bait. Um, That's come out, what did that come out? Like the, the 2000s, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing the trailer for that in the theater and. You know, it's interesting because I'm going to ask you this question because I didn't see it because I don't, for whatever reason, I, I can't remember. Mm-hmm. It just, I didn't it, see it for a really long time. I believe it's Australian. And um, so I didn't see as much publicity or anything for it. And that's part of why I came at it late. It was like, I kind of knew it existed, but, and it was like, oh, that's a shark movie I'll get to. But um, there just are so many bad ones that it sometimes you can't get the enthusiasm up. Okay, so of the shallows, Deep Blue Sea 3 or Bait, if I was to pick hmm. one tonight, which I'll watch them all, but if I was to pick one tonight, which which one should I go with? I would think that Bait is the safest choice. Okay. I will think that you, you know, the shallows of being kind of minimalist, I don't, you know, know if everyone's as into that. 47 meters down too is pretty crazy. And, oh, and then Deep Blue Sea 3. It's how to describe. <laughs> It's just got a lot of good twists. I love it. I will say there are a lot of surprises. It's another one where they could have phoned it in 
And they gave it everything they could. Like, the writer gave it. The director gave it. Like, everyone was in it, giving it their all in Deep Blue Sea 3. In 1983, Joe Alvis, who was the production designer for the original Jaws, he was tasked with directing Jaws 3. Now, the couple things I always like to mention about this film is uh, the original pitch for Jaws 3 was to be a sort of a National Lampoon's Mm-hmm. style style film it was going to be called jaws three people zero and it was going to be a very slapstick you know i think i think initially from what i read the opening scene was going to have the author peter benchley killed by a great white shark in his swimming pool mm-hmm. and right. i think this thing kind of was like picking up a little bit of steam at universal and then spielberg got wind of it or something this is the legend that i've heard that spielberg got mm-hmm. wind of this thing and he was just like if you want me to continue to work at universal you will not make wow. that movie like and he had that kind of pull by 83 because E.T. Yeah. had come out already. So I hadn't heard that one, but I do think it was not a good idea. <laughs> I mean, but just because that period, they were doing a lot of spoofs. And I have watched a lot of them. And there were a few good ones. I mean, in my opinion, they're not my faves, that period of spoof. I mean, there's a couple classics. Airplane, Top Secret. Right. You know, But they're completely different than Jaws. Like, why you would want to... Um, uh, to tarnish, you know, something so huge by doing something so, so, like, completely changing the genre. I mean, I think, like, for James Cameron to change Alien, which is a horror movie sci-fi, I would say, to, like, an action sci-fi, not as huge as going from, like, adventure creature feature to spoof. Could you imagine what that would have done for the legacy of the original film if that would have happened? I mean, very rarely does that, when does that ever succeed other than the Fast and the Furious franchise? I know. Yeah. No, Tokyo Drift worked. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, I, I think I just got scarred by like National Lampoon's High School Reunion and some of those where like they made that a horror movie, a slasher movie spoof. I, I just, it's just not for me in that moment. So what they did do though, was decide to go run with a, another uh, gimmick, if you will. Uh, and that was 3d. Now at the time, much ta- better, much better, <laughs> much better at the time, you know, you had Friday, the 13th, 3d Amityville, 3d. There was a couple other 3d. I mean, 3d was really, it was the craze. And it wasn't like for sort of the younger listeners out there, it wasn't like 3d, like how James Cameron, changed the game with Avatar and then we had the resurgence mm-hmm. of 3D. Right. <laughs> this was like gimmick 3D, like like stuff shit flying in your face, like stuff poking out at you, uh, you know, a shark getting ready to bite your head off, that type of really That's the kind I like actually. Um did you ever see that movie Shark Night? I didn't. No, I that didn't. That would be an honorable mention, I would say. <laughs> I like Shark Night, but um it was 3D. And they totally did that, like sharks coming at your face. That was very scary to me. I saw the one of the Final Destination films in 3D, the one where the it starts at the, with the NASCAR race. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that was may have been the fourth one, which I think they were calling the Final Destination. There was a, like two more after that, but uh-huh. <laughs> I lose track of them. But uh, but that had the real gimmicky 3D, and that's why I went to see that film. I was like, oh yeah, this is this is gonna be fun. But the problem with uh, with Jaws 3D, well, there's there's a couple problems with Jaws 3D. But one of the one of the main issues with Jaws 3D, and, and again, I don't think this is really thought about in '83. It's probably '82 when the film is in the production. Is you know they're making this movie 
for the big screen. They're making this film for a theatrical audience and the theatrical audience is going to see this in 3D. I don't think there was much, really much thought given about how this was going to translate into a 2D film on TV uh-huh. or VHS. <laughs> and so it's really difficult to watch this film without the context of knowing like these awful effects that you see in this film, which they're unforgivable in some cases. Well, but you know what's fun, I think, is that because I just watched it, too, and not in 3D. And um, I I think it's fun because you know which things are supposed mm. to be 3D. So every time, you know, because you can just tell because the effects aren't right. You know, so every time it's like you kind of get a laugh. I mean, so it did end up being a bit of comedy. Of course, that famous scene when they're in the control room at towards the end and it's a slow motion. And, and, and it, like, pokes And it pokes. It just pokes the glass and never – it's never – that probably, I, I have to always say that probably was awesome to see in the theater, to see that yeah. just glass just breaking at sh- towards you. Like that but must then, have been incredible. Rennie Harlan, genius among us that he is, um, he corrected that and made it what you really wanted to see in Deep Blue Sea, the first one. Absolutely. Cause the shark hits the, hits it and it's like for real. You know, not like um, Jaws 3 effects. Oh, and listen, the most terrifying part of that Deep Blue Sea one is that with Stellan Skarsgård, he's he's in the oh. – and, and you he's still alive because they gave him the breathing apparatus and you just see him just like his head sort of going back and so- forth. It's, it's, it's the best. It's I the know. Best. There are days when I feel like Stellan Skarsgård in that, um, that gurney or whatever he's in where I'm just like, oh, my God. I can't. <laughs> like as if it wasn't bad enough. He gets his you know, arm bitten his off. His arm got bitten <laughs> off. He got taken up into the helicopter during a hurricane. Then it crashes. Now he's in a shark's mouth. And he just has this look on his face like, why not? You know? Yeah. <laughs> I guess this is where we're at now. <laughs> oh, I know. I would like like I didn't even really think about it until I really started to evaluate like what his character went through. It's like, my God. And oh, my th- God. There's the funniest line in there, too, uh, where his girlfriend is like, there's the most brilliant man you've ever met. And Samuel L. Jackson is like, how brilliant can he be? He's pissing into the wind. And she's like, you'll see. But you never do see. No. They never prove that he's a genius. I'm like waiting for it. Let's see. Is you it, know, and I, it never happens. <laughs> Instead, he's like, you know, degraded. Well, does, this way. Doesn't he pull out a cigarette like right after they successfully, you know, get extracted? Yeah. And I'm like, this is supposed to be like some, like a warning, like, Smoking's really bad for you. Smoking could kill you. He just pulls out it a cigarette. It will get you eaten by a shark. It will literally get you. It's an allegory for like, don't smoke ever. It's going to be really bad. And and they're okay with smoking down there in that pressurized. I you know. know. I thought Please. about. So anyway, <laughs> so we're. <laughs> I love Deep yet, Blue Sea, and I'm sure it's on your list, and we'll get it to is. it. Yeah. <laughs> farther to go before we get to Deep Blue Sea. <laughs> Which I rewatched just the other day. Anyway, we'll, we'll, uh-huh. we'll get to that. We'll get to that when, when we get to on your list. Putting the effects aside, I recognize Jaws 3 for what it really is. And, you know, we're looking for that definition of, of a sequel and especially the third one, which is, mm-hmm. you know, what are the rules for the third one? You said the second one is sort of like there's doubles, you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's, there's multiple plot lines. This thing is all over the place. You've got yeah. Mike's story. You've got Mike's arc. 
You got Sean's arc. You have Kay's arc. You have Leah Thompson's arc. You have Louis Gossett Jr., who I always sort of crack up when you're watching the credits for this movie and it says, and Louis Gossett Jr. as Calvin Bouchard. And, yes. and I'm always like, is that important that we know his name? They, they used to do that a lot in 70s and 80s. They would say, and well, so-and-so as. Yeah, they, um, in The Revenge, they have Michael Caine as Hoagie, I believe. Yeah. Yep. So, so it was, they were still doing it. They liked that part of it. Yeah, I, and- I always enjoy that. And I always like it when it's a name that, you know, you never pay attention to in the movie. Yeah. It's like as Mrs. Fredson. <laughs> <laughs> it's not an interesting name. Uh, there's but- a, there's a line where a reporter sort of at the beginning when they're having that, the preview of the undersea kingdom and the reporter, he's like, I, I'm, and Mr. Bouchard's going to be available for questions that we would like to avoid any questions about his. Uh, colorful past. And I guess that's supposed to just give you the kind of a quick exposition. This is kind of a shady guy. Yeah, I wonder in a way if they did the same thing as they did in like you were saying that Murray Hamilton's character was supposed to have these shady dealings. Maybe they've been trying to kind of bring that back. And it's like, no, it's always going to get bumped for shark. It's always yeah. going <laughs> to get cut. Yeah, exactly. No, I agree. I agree. And then what there's more there's more storylines going on. There's Philip Fitzroyce. Simon McCorkendale's <laughs> character, who who is just, you know, is there a lot of money in, you know, because he's talking about, um, there's a scene where him and his buddy, his name is um, Jack, P.H. Moriarty, who, who's, who's, uh-huh. who's Hatchet Harry in Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. That's how I always mm-hmm. remember him. But there's a scene where they're getting ready to lure the shark this is towards the end of the film. They're getting ready to lure the shark into the filtration pipes. And he says to Jack that this is our, this is our bloody annuity, this film. Is there a lot of money in, in underwater footage of sharks being killed? I mean, like there. Yeah. I have no idea. I mean, it seems a little Tiger Kingy, maybe. <laughs> no, yeah, I don't know. It does. <laughs> you know, another thing is though, that, that occurred to me when I was, planning to do this show versus just watching, you know, it passively is, um, it made me remember that we didn't used to know anything about sharks, you know, like the audience. So in the second movie, you know, the shark starts doing this thing where it's just like, it just shakes the camera and there's bubbles and stuff. Mm-hmm. Sharks don't really do that. You know, I mean, there were a lot of different things that like we didn't know sharks did or didn't do. So I'm sure, you know, stuff was still sneaking in there. Like, yeah, that's a thing. Fair. Expensive footage of whatever sharks are doing. Oh, and I love Philip Fitzroyce in this movie. I loved his character. He just oozed confidence. Yeah, I could use more of him. Yeah, he, he was great. But, but this goes back to what I was saying. Like, multiple storylines going on at the same time. A lot. And, and it's well, not and like... I do think that, you know, not only multiple storylines, but it, it... I guess they did this in the first one, too, but a lot of the scares or the kills are just random. Like, I don't even know who they are. Yeah. You know, I'm not involved remotely. You know, I in, you know, for instance, like, in a Deep Blue Sea or in, like, a modern movie, they would pick them off. You know, like they would pick off the reporter and Louis Gossett Jr. Like, why isn't he getting into it with the shark? No, and and, and Calvin Bouchard, he escapes. 
and it's like, you know, you set him up to be this, this guy who, you know, he's like, no, no, put the shark in, put the, the baby shark in holding tank or viewing tank number six and, and, and turn the filtration pipes back on. And, and, you know, he's, he's just going on and on. He's all about, you know, protecting the interests of SeaWorld and he's just, uh-huh. you know, he's very shady, but he gets away. But, I the, know. but the, the really nice guy that works in the control tower, I mean, the, in the control room, you know, he gets a brutal death. The poor guy. Um, I know. It didn't, they didn't really care, you know. Again, they brought back more of the caring in Jaws The Revenge. Because at the end of that one, everyone pops back up. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> we're going to exploit killing them, and then we're going to bring them back. Because we know you <laughs> wouldn't like it. But at least it's, you know, get me emotionally involved in who just died. That was what it was for like a seek for like the third film in this. I mean, in this series, like this is now we're just going for it. Like this is like bigger body count. You know, it's it's it really feels more like a horror movie in in some sense than than the first two films. The first two films were were more you know suspense drama. This one just feels like a straight slasher film in some some degrees. Yeah, although it's again weird, like. Um, I was saying this when I was watching them too, that except for the first one, there's not really the, like we were talking about Wes Craven. It's, there isn't that build suspense and release it thing that like the, you know, horror masters do all the time. And that got lost very quickly after the first one. And it just kind of became more of a, I don't know, not a horror movie as much. You know, like, it's always light. The sun's always out. I mean, not always, but, you know, for a lot of it. And it's you do get kind of confused as to how scary it's supposed to be. Well, like, I do. Like, who was, who, who are the two guys stealing the, the coral reef? You know, like, the coral. You know, know. Like they just go out on the inflatable boat, and they're like, oh, there's a guy in Miami who will give us 400 bucks for the good stuff. I'm like, oh, who, who are you? There are so many yeah. shady schemes happening. <laughs> but you know, it's Florida. It's Florida. That is so realistic. It really is. It really, it's Florida. I, you know, I was growing up down there um, at that time. That was the year I moved there. It's 83. And it looks like my childhood. <laughs> It, you know, it, it hasn't really drifters changed. Drifters coming <laughs> yeah. in with like, oh, they're making good money in conch shells. <laughs> and there's the character of, of Shelby Overman, who you know, this is the guy that that dives down to secure the gate after the big shark gets in, mm-hmm. and you know. They're all just assuming that you know he's just holed up drunk somewhere and he's going to turn up, and it's like that's Florida. That's pretty yeah, typical. Totally. Yeah. Oh, so he's a, he's a he maintenance guy. Leave it. He'll come around. Yeah. <laughs> and he's not going to lose his job because even because Bouchard is like when the man needs to be fired and, and Dennis Quaid's like, no, he's a good man. He just screws up from time to time. Like, like clearly he's not shown up for work a few times. Yeah. It's very Tiger King. Yeah. You know, it's well, who would want to be with great white sharks and, you know, but that just randomly show up. Sure. I'll get in there with it. Like they're not prepared. They don't read a book. <laughs> on a great white shark and and they're just going to display it so There's no way and of course we always want to mention for those who haven't been to florida that sea world is about <laughs> 40 miles inland um just just for uh continuity right. or, or or any sense of realism sea world is in orlando which is kind of uh, again i stress about 40 miles from the atlantic ocean so 
there's that not really a gate to yeah yeah the, the, that but um but it is a little like um day of the dolphin kind of had a setup sort of like that and i think you know they were talking to dolphins in that movie and i think some of the dolphiny stuff may have been inspired by that yes cindy and sammy the uh, the dolphins yes. yes having said all of that kelly everything we've just said <laughs> I find this to be a very watchable movie. Oh, so watchable. <clears throat> and I've probably seen it. Um, obviously, let's we're, let's just take Jaws out of this discussion. We're talking purely sequels. I have seen Jaws 3 far more times than I've seen the other two. In fact, Me too. and, and yeah. I know Jaws 3 beat for beat. It's like, and it, I think it moves with, again, Putting Jaws out of this discussion, I think it, it's the best paced film. I think it's the most efficient film. It gets in, it does its job, it gets out. It has some over-the-top scenes. Uh, so, mm -hmm. so, what do you think? Very good climax, I will yes. say. I always forget because I, I think of, you know, the shark. The, the scariest thing almost to me is when they're just in that little pool. That like above ground pool with the great white and they're just trying to swim it around and get its circulation going. And I'm like, I can't watch this. You know, you're just in a pool with a great white shark. Um, but also the climax of it, which is very, very scary and very intense. And it has like a shot, you know, a perspective from inside the shark's mouth yes. while a guy's trapped in there. Yes, Fitzroy. It's really yeah. quite uh, like even rewatching it and I've seen it however many times um, I was like, that's really a lot, you know, that's disturbing. Please stop. But it keeps cutting back to it. That whole scene with Fitzroyce pulling himself with the rope and the rope breaks. Oh, I like every time I watch it, I'm like, he's going to make it. He's going to make it. He's going to make it. And the rope breaks and he just goes in and you're right. Like the claustrophobia you feel from that POV of inside the shark, which how clever is that? Like, who came up with that idea? That was brilliant. And then there's just the scene where the shark's mouth, and, it just closes. And it has, like, plot to it. Yes. You know? It's like, well, as usual, they always do this ever since the first one. It's like, somehow you got to get the bomb thing into it. Yes. You know? Um, but, yeah, it continues to be a major part of the climax and the plot. Like, now you have to pull the the pin and that they do they from do the dead guy who's in there they do a nice foreshadowing they do a nice way of setting up the grenade just like mm -hmm. uh you know uh, dreyfus does in the first one where he he, he tells uh uh he tells roy scheider you know with the tank you screw around these things they're gonna blow up you know yeah. like they do a nice job of setting that up early on so when you see him pull out the yellow grenade you know exactly what it is uh, look, I I love this movie, and I mean not on the level that I love Jaws, but I love this movie as it's such a fun, watchable film, and I don't get tired of it. You know, when I was talking to to Leah, you know, when I had her on the show a few years ago, we were talking, we had talked a little bit about this, and it was her first film, and she was just telling me some awesome stories about. It. Like, I just I strongly recommend Jaws three. Yeah, me too. Well, I was thinking about Leah and thinking um, it always sticks in my mind her saying that, you know, when she auditioned for this, they asked her if she could water ski. And she was like, oh, yeah, definitely, <laughs> you know, and she had never done it. And <laughs> I just cannot imagine doing that. And I just I'm so glad that she did do it. But um, it does make me think like if Leah had not lied about that, maybe she never would have been in movies. Oh, I know. And then. 
you know, Jimmy never would have made a movie with her. And then I would not be talking to you right now. Wow. If she had not lied, she could water ski. Wow. That is, that's trippy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but that's true. That's you know I, I'm 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 always doing those things. I'm always tracing events in my life and you know what would have happened. But wow, that's really too true. She hadn't lied. Yeah, we wouldn't be having this discussion right now. No, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, I mean you know it's not it's not directly related to me, but you um, would you be doing literally at this moment you'd be doing something else. I would be doing something completely different. I would be like living with someone completely different and maybe not in this house even. Wow. Now that's interesting. That's heavy. Yeah. <laughs> as Doc as Doc would say, that's heavy. Or Marty would say, that's heavy. <laughs> so, um, do you have a favorite scene in Jaws 3? Um, I, I guess that climax. That climax where he's in the mouth. They're, they spend a lot of time on that. And uh, them all having to like step on its head and try to like cling to the inside of that thing they're in. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. I really enjoy that. Even though you like growing up, it was always the underwater tunnels getting rammed, of course. Yeah. You know, cause you go in those things and you always think every single time, what if I am going to just agree with you? Like that's my favorite scene of it. I, for a, uh, you know, the third film in a franchise, which is really, I mean, it's kind of running out of gas. Um, mm-hmm. the scene where Jack sort of, he's wanting to know why Fitzroy's hasn't come back up and he climbs down, like the, down into the, you know, into the filtration pipes and he's just screaming and you see that emotion. I was like, I was buying that. Like you could tell that those were yeah. guys that had worked together for a long time. They were best of friends. And I, I bought that. I, I, I totally bought that. I really like the scene when, uh, Kay is describing to Louis Gossett Jr., uh, Kay and Brody, they're in the, the deluxe restaurant and cocktail lounge, 40 yeah. feet below, 40 feet below the sea. And they're talking about the shark. And she says it had a bite radius of about a yard across. And, and Fitzroyce is like, you know, don't be, that's crazy. That would indicate a shark of some 35 feet in length. Uh-huh. And then the shark shows up. I love that scene. They're like, Oh my God, there it is right there. I just, I love yeah. it. And, and what I like, also love about delivering fast. Yeah. I could probably gush over this film a little bit like i just really really like it yes well also another thing about this film is it's a joke in my house that when i was like you know watching this as a kid i thought bess armstrong was the most beautiful woman in the world (laughs) like i i was like why are people you know uh i don't know not like going gaga over her and now i watch it and i'm like you know she's pretty she's a regular person though (laughs) like i thought she was like a princess or something i love her character in this one she just has a presence, a presence in the film, and she has a she has a confidence. Like she is not like freaked out. Like oh my god, there's a shark. What are we going to do? It's like there's a shark. This is how we're going to handle it. And she's going. She is definitely by far the most um, relatable character. It's like you know he's getting the job in Venezuela or whatever, and she's dealing with like, am I going to stick in this relationship? Am I going to put my career on hold and go to Venezuela with them? Like nobody else has that kind of stuff going on. Yeah. You know, like she's actually got a plot and then she's also at the center of all of this. And like the one who wants to do the right thing for the shark. And you know, she's, she's like the core. And then it kind of upsets me in the fourth one that they just never even say what happened to her. No, no, not at all. Not at all. They act like they were such a serious relationship and she was, you know, and then they just don't even mention like, oh, well, after me and Kay broke up or I, I want to know a little bit. Yeah. 
Oh, I know. I mean, we're left to believe that, I guess, he went to Venezuela and she stayed behind, which I think is believable because of how much she loved the yeah. dolphins. Yeah. You know, like she was crazy about those dolphins. So I, I know, I, but I, I just feel like, you know, she was the core. I was fine to, she was kind of our hooper or something. Yeah. Yep. And, um, oh, good. That's a good comparison. Yeah. Like, she doesn't matter in the next one. It's like, ah, I don't know. She, I was more attached to her than the others. She was definitely the hooper. That's a really yeah. good comparison. So let's talk about your. 10 favorite shark films. I think we're going to, um, uh, by my math here, it would be four, three, and two, correct? Yeah. Okay. So, um, four is 47 meters down, the original. The original, okay. Okay. <laughs> From a few years ago. Um, That's the one with Mandy yeah. Moore, right? Yeah. Yep. I mean, just, and uh, Matthew Modine's in it. Um, he's like the guy who runs the shark cage business. Yeah, we were just talking about Matthew Modine yesterday. When we were re-recording, you know, that's interesting. He's uh, he's everywhere these days. Yeah, good for him. Um, But yeah, 47 meters down, just the idea of, a lot of it is the idea. You know, even in these Jaws movies, it's just that there's some idea that sticks in your head. Or at least stuff you watched as a kid, you know, there was like, the idea would stick in there and then traumatize you in the bathtub or the pool or whatever. Um, But in 47 meters down, they go down in a shark cage and the crane breaks. They are down there in a shark cage and live with great whites all, you know, around the top. And it's like two sisters. And the whole thing is just kind of like the shallows. It's just they're on the bottom of the ocean floor running out of air, you know, and there's sharks around. I, I have to see that film. That one. Yeah, it's it's pretty terrifying. I mean, it's like in the beginning just to set up their relationship and who they are because they're going to be in masks the whole time, you know, once they get down there. So it's it may be a little slow to get to the sharkiness, um, but once they're down there, it's pretty intense. That's awesome. All right. All right. If you want something you're sure you'll like, you don't want to watch my third pick, um, Shark Attack 3 Megalodon. <laughs> Shark Attack Have you ever three. seen that one? I have. <laughs> I rented that from Blockbuster. Oh my god! Like, like, like this is 10, 10, 12 years ago. Oh, this is the one and where that this was all we had for so long. I you know? know, we had the Jaws films, we had Deep Blue Sea, and then we had the Shark Attack series, and which the- they're all good, but they get better in order. And these are the ones with Casper Van Dien, correct? No, he's only in the first. He's one. only in the first one. I, I mean, I've seen the third one. I, I think. remember. I don't- I don't think he's in the second one. I remember definitely the, not the third. The third one because it's a megalodon. It swallows a boat whole. If I remember. Oh my gosh, so many good things. And then um, it's set God only knows where. But the actors, most of them are not American, but they're pretending to be American. So it's that fun thing. Um, and there's like this, you know. Of course, the corrupt um, people who own the resort and whatever. It like um, attacks a cruise ship. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess, I guess they've kind of had that happen in the new Meg movie, which I did not really care for. I hate to say. I did see yeah. the I did see the Meg. Well, that's not true. That's a bit of a lie. Didn't see all of the Meg movie. I I actually stopped watching it. Like, there you go. A, about an hour into it, I was like, I can't do this. I can't do yeah, this. Yeah, I mean, I love John Turtletop generally. Like, I have a real, you know. I'm in sync somehow with his humor usually, but it just felt like a movie where um, it wasn't made by people who love shark movies. So they didn't really know what all had been done before, maybe. And it, I don't know. It, it didn't quite do it for me. And then also it was like kind of trying to protect the rating, I think, a little bit. 
Right. Yeah. It was all over the place. <laughs> it really <Yeah>. was. <laughs> what's What's the next one on your list? Um, then Deep Blue Sea. Then Deep Blue Sea. So Jaws 3 never even made your list. It didn't. It got bumped. It got bumped. I mean, and it could just be that I'm very excited about the new one, the new kind of stuff, because, again, I only had so many choices right. for so many years, and now I'm excited that there are good new ones. We uh, we should definitely do an episode just discussing the films of 1999 sometime. Oh, my gosh. So, so good. Um, I mean, there's so many of them. There's so many of them. And there's so many just wholly original stories in 99 as well. I mean, I know that's mm-hmm. the year of Star Wars, but there are so many original films that came out that year. I think that's one of the reasons why it's looked at as such a, a banner year in film. Um, we've mentioned Rennie Harlan before. We were talking about him when we were discussing Elm Street 4. The great Rennie Harlan. I was, <laughs> I was, I was talking about him just the other day on a, on a uh, podcast episode. Um, I saw Deep Blue Sea twice in the theater. When it came out, this was a time when I was going to the movies three, four times a week, and uh-huh. I, I had to see that a second time. Uh, a, a, apart from a couple uh, questionable CGI shots right. that are in the film, looking at you, Sam Jackson, um, I think it's a really fun movie. And it does a great job of making you care about the characters before they're kind of plucked off one Mm -hmm. by one. And um, uh, the only downside on this, no, there's not really much of a downside. Like I said, just the, just the shoddy CGI. Um, I love kind of a funky transitional period, but they did use some, you know, practical. Yeah. Yeah. They uh, sure did. Robot sharks or whatever. They sure did. Um, I love the nod. The very subtle nod to Jaws, uh, when Thomas Jane is capturing the, it's a tiger shark he's captured mm-hmm. and he's got a license plate stuck in his mouth and yes. it's, it's the uh-huh. license plate that Hooper takes out of the shark, the tiger shark in Jaws. Same Louisiana license plate, 1972. That was a, a, a nice little tip of the hat, if you will, from Rennie Harlan to Spielberg. Like, I know you made the greatest. But. Yeah. Well, I think he also, um, the last time I watched Orca, um, it is Orca. I mean, there's a lot of Orca in Deep Blue Sea, down to some of the haircuts. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's it, the two of them watched back to back is very interesting. Um, also, it takes some things from, you know, Jaws 3, like the hitting the underwater window and yeah. stuff. Um, yeah, I feel like um, Deep Blue Sea, that was kind of the fun thing about it, is it did a lot of its own stuff, um, but it did... You know, there weren't that many things to pay, you know, homage to, but it was, it, it did all the research. It did. Um, I love that movie. Like, I, I, I love it. I love that it's number two on your list. I feel like I know what your number one is. So I don't think we need, <laughs> I don't think we really need to, to. <laughs> yeah. Wait. I mean, if it's not everyone's number one, I, you know, I question them. The um, Jaws, the Revenge. 1987. I actually saw this one in the theater. I was nine years old. I did not see in it. I didn't see any of them in the theater until I got to be an adult in a place with revival theaters. Because I would have been like six or seven in Jaws Revenge. And uh, that was too soon. I saw it with a couple friends of mine. And as a nine year old, 
just thought it was the greatest thing I'd ever seen in my life. I had, <laughs> yeah. At that point, I had seen, you know, the, the three previous Jaws films. I remember I was closely following this film's development on nightly segments, <laughs> nightly, nightly segments on Entertainment Tonight, where they would, you know, back then, Entertainment Tonight, would they would really keep, they'd pick a movie and just follow its development uh-huh. for a few months. And I was, I remember being really let down when Letter Malton gave his review of the film. And I was like, oh, well, not really understanding the gravity of it. My my dad still took us to see it opening day. I didn't see it till video. I did see it like immediately after it was on video. Um, and I knew it wasn't supposed to be good. And then as a kid, I thought that it had a very slow start, but then paid off more than any of the movies in the second half. That was my my childhood review. I've tried watching this film just on my own accord a few times over the years. And I think it's a fascinating failure, if that's the best way for me to describe it. Yeah. It's fascinating in that Joseph Sargent was given carte blanche by Sid Sheinberg. The only mandate was that his wife had to be the star of the movie. Uh Um, Other than that, do whatever you want. And look, to be fair, the movie was made on a $23 million budget. It made $52 million. So it's not like it, it wasn't a box office disaster. It, it made, uh-huh. it doubled its budget essentially. But it's, it's fascinating because this thing is, is produced by Joseph Sargent. I mean, it's, it's directed by him. He decided, you know, let's go to the Bahamas. So let's just set the story in the Bahamas. That's a funny thing about this series too, is, you know, first it's New England, then it's Florida, now it's the Bahamas. Like it moves around the same family. The same family. Now putting different sharks, <laughs> different sharks. But this this one, do, I always I'm, I'm always curious. Like at what point when you know the screenplay is being written for this, <laughs> do people just say, "What the fuck? Who cares?" Like yeah, like this is one shark that's that's tracking the Brody family. You know, this is I know just that central concept. I mean, and again, it I guess it sort of is a hijacker from. You know, the Roy Scheider doing that in the second one, being like, it could it, because he says that thing in the second one about could they communicate like dolphins, yeah, you yeah. know, and it's like, wait, wait, and everyone's like, well, I, you know, whatever, and they brush him off, and I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> go back to that. Are you saying that the shark told some friends? And now it's like mad at you? <laughs> and it's coming back like now, after all these years? What? And then they picked it up in four as if, well, yeah, we already established that. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, no, no. That was not establishing no. how this magic works. <laughs> in the novelization for Jaws the Revenge, in the novelization, uh, Brody gets into some type of land dispute in the Bahamas, and a witch doctor from the Bahamas puts a curse oh. on the Brody family, and oh. the curse is the shark. So... I, I haven't read the novelization, but I, I read that synopsis and I said, well, that actually makes more sense yeah. than what you put on screen. Like, why not include that in there? Because at least then it's like, okay, Something. supernatural yeah. element. Because Yeah, it's just, well, and then, but they do crazy things, period. Like, um, similar to in three, when they're like, well, now we're just great white keepers all of a sudden not being experts in them um in this one they're like tagging conch shells and they're like well i guess we're studying a great white shark now now we've got some real research 
So like they just, you know, I don't think these are uh, decisions that were thought through a lot. This movie also breaks the rules of, of sequels. The established rules that you and I have established throughout this episode. I'm not saying they're, they're the definitive rules, but there's a, there's a couple plot lines going on. Well, there's two plot lines mm-hmm. going on here. There's, there's Ellen's, uh, uh, developing relationship with Hoagie, Michael Kane. And then there's Michael and Jake's adventures, like you said, tagging conch shells and then studying <laughs> a, gr- a great white. There is not much of a quote unquote body count in this movie. Uh, there are two actual deaths. Well, Two and a half. There's two and a half. There's, there's Sean, which I, I'll admit, that's a, that's, cr- shocking. that's a crazy scene. That's a, I yeah. mean, uh, I, I don't, I'm not crazy about how they edit the actual shark. It mm-hmm. would have, I think it would have been better just not to show the shark at all, just do the POV. Through the whole movie, it's yeah. a little like that. I was going to say something about the editing and I'm like, I don't know. Maybe I'm just being too sensitive, but it is edited in a funny way. Yes. Well, and especially in the climax where she's killing the shark and you kind of have to wait like three shots afterward to be like, oh, I guess I see what happened, yeah. you know, <laughs> but it's not very clear. That first, when you see the POV of the shark coming towards Sean, you're like, all right, here we go. And then it cuts to like a shark's mouth biting down and then blood. Mm-hmm. And then it's, it's just so choppy. If you could have just done the POV and just right up to Sean and right. then just cut to him falling backwards in the boat. And that's, right. that's brutal when he's got his arm missing. It's brutal. Yeah. I know. Well, and, and you're just so like, it's a little confusing because they change the actors in every movie, yes. you know? So I'm sitting there, you know, like looking around me, looking on IMDb, like, wait, Sean is the one who was afraid to go in the water in the third one. Like, because I'm not like 100% sure. And then when I realized like, yes, it's still Sean. It's the one who got with Leah. I'm like, they just killed the son. That's crazy. <laughs> But I have to go through this whole thing, you know, to get to that, like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe they did that. It's like 10 minutes later. Well, I think they're 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 retconning the third movie in this one completely to the sense of uh, when they have like everyone's up for the funeral, like there's a bunch of background players from the original movie in that oh. in that scene. Like Mrs. And- Kintner is in that living room. Whoa. I'm telling you, she's in that living room. And, uh, yeah, like. I did not know that. I'm, well, I'm, 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 I guarantee you, I can't guarantee you that it was Mrs. Kintner, but I recognized some of them and I swear it was Mrs. Kintner. I could be wrong, but I'd have to double check that. But there was wow. definitely faces. It, it feels, you know, like sort of a family affair, you know, like an extended family affair or something. Oh, this I just verified. Yes. Yes. It is Mrs. Kintner in there. Wow. It says that uh, in, in talking about the casting, it says Lorraine Gary is the only principal cast member from the original film who returned, although Lee Ferio made a brief cameo as Mrs. Kintner, uh, as did Fritzy Jane Courtney, who played Mrs. Taft, one of the Amity Town council members in both Jaws and Jaws 2. She's the one that owns the hotel yes, yes, that says, yes. I don't think that's funny. I don't think that's funny at all. Right. Yeah. I think that's <laughs> so, funny at all. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Mrs. Kintner. Yeah. There's a brief, like, blink and you miss it cameo of those two ladies in the film. Yeah. I did see the one. I didn't see Kintner, I don't think. Interesting. Yeah. But, you know, um, how you were talking about the editing. I would say that that's actually, it is both maybe the flaw of this movie, but also what makes it fun is that the shark, there is no build to the shark. It's like you're down in a sub. He just got down there. He's like, hey, man, I'll be right there. And then boom, shark is in your face. And without even like necessarily the right 
you know, music to tell you it's there. It's just, it just puts you close up in a shark's mouth yeah, and with no warning. And it does this over and over and over in the movie. So it does get scares, but you're kind of like, is that cheating to make a shark mouth take over my screen <laughs> with no warning? And back to what I was saying about the body count. So you get Sean at the beginning, you get the poor lady on the banana boat. Right. And that's a rough one. And that is a rough one, especially when you see that the, the shot sort of pulling away and she's still in the shark's mouth and he's just like, yeah. And, um, and then you get, I said two and a, uh, two and a half deaths on, on screen deaths. Well, you get the fake out dream sequence of Ellen <laughs> swimming. Uh, clearly you had to know that was dream from the get go because why would she be that far out? Her, I know. Um, yeah. and then you get the theatrical version of the film has Jake. Mario Van Peoples going down, you know, that's a crazy shot too of him in the shark's mouth going down underwater mm-hmm. just sort of pounding on the shark. Uh, in the theatrical cut of that film, he does not resurface. Oh. In the extended version or the version shown, the European cut, or I'm not sure which cut, there's, there's multiple different alternative versions of this film. Um, he sort of comes up to the surface and survives. So that's why I say two and a half deaths. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you get from yeah. three, it felt like that though. It felt like, well, let's just shoot everyone dying and let's get all of the versions and then we'll figure it out in the editing room who we think, you know, and in uh, test screenings and stuff, who gets to live, who you want to see come back. Sequel by committee. That's, yeah. that's exactly what's happening there. I like the actors in this film. I'm not saying I like them in this film, <laughs> yeah. but I like the obviously what is there to say about Michael Caine? I still think he's the best part of this movie. I think. Oh, and he seems to be having so much fun yes, too. Yes, and there's he's that- like he's in it for you know it's not just paycheck. Like he's having fun with it. Although to be fair, there's that famous line uh, where that famous quote from Michael Caine who <laughs> who missed going attending the Oscars where he won a Best Supporting Oscar for Hannah and, and her sisters because he had to he got called back for reshoots. And they asked him about that. And he said, well, I haven't seen, referring to Jaws the Revenge, he goes, well, I haven't actually seen the movie, but I've seen the house it paid for. It's paid for (laughs) and it's lovely. (laughs) Something to that effect. I'm I'm paraphrasing what he said there. But no, he does. He does seem like he's having fun. Like, he's Michael Caine. He's Sir Michael Caine. I mean, he's, he's, he's a gem. He's a legend. And he's great in this movie. But I will say, how he play, how he flies that plane, he is, a wild well the whole movie he's a real wild man i mean the more times you watch it the more you're like this hoagie character is crazy and you know these sons need to be worried about their mom because she thinks she has a psychic connection to sharks and this <laughs> wild card she's taking up with it's like he will let anybody fly that plane it's like if you sit up front you have to fly it <laughs> well make no mistake about it he's a drug smuggler that's why he's yeah. in the Bahamas. I mean, that's it. That's why. I mean, because you would, when you'd fly, you'd fly from Colombia to the Bahamas and then from the Bahamas into Florida. And, and that's, again, we get our Florida connection. Yes. Because, <laughs> I mean, it's, this whole movie is very Florida, too. I mean, I know it's, it's, you know, Bahamas or whatever, but it's, there's enough Florida. Like, it felt, I mean, that's what I noticed this time watching it was that, um, Lorraine Gary's playing like a Floridian, grandma on the make yeah (laughs) you know and i'm like oh i know that woman but i didn't get it i I don't know i didn't get it for some reason until this time when i watched it and i had actually watched it not that long ago but watching it in order with all of the other ones i was like oh this is kind of like um douglas sirk doing a shark movie yeah 
<laughs> you know, like it's very about like her personal journey. And at the end, she gets to the point where she's like, you know, I'm going to let my kids lead their own lives. I'm going to stop telling my son to stop being a marine biologist. <laughs> You know, it's like, do you need me? It's like, no, he never did. You know, you've been a nuisance. You like took that boat out and almost got them all killed. Well, there's that scene. There's a scene in the movie. This one when they're at a New Year's Eve party. Yeah. And Michael's. But by the way, why? Why is this like a Christmas and New Year's Eve thing? It's Jaws four, and the first one took place on the Fourth of July. Yeah. So why wouldn't you return to the 4th of July? But instead, it's Christmas and New Year's. Well, there's a scene where we've established that Sean is killed roughly around Christmas time because there's Christmas carolers out there. Everybody's getting ready for Christmas. And then we're at a New Year's Eve party. So we're two weeks at best out from the death of her son. Right, I and, know, it's and she's, so fast. she's dancing with Michael, and she says, you know, I'm going to have to get on with my life. You know, uh, you know, Sean's death almost killed me, but I, I'm not sure if I'll ever get over it. I'm like, lady, you're two weeks out from this. Like, you need to take some time to grieve. Like, none yeah. of this made any sense to me. Like, she's like, she's like, I'm sorry if I've been acting a little crazy. Your, your brother's death nearly killed me. I'm like, yeah, no shit. That was two weeks ago. Like, yeah. like it's two- Well, and I just keep thinking, like, about her other son- would you get a hold of your mother? You know, like somebody pay attention to her because yes, she's doing crazy things. She's saying crazy things. You know, just don't go in the water. You know, I mean, her at least she's no kind of expert. Why would what is she-, she doing taking that boat out? She had no plan. She had no plan. She had no weapons. Oh, I, I, I suspect it. This is, this is, I, it's funny you say that because I, I, I genuinely thought and had those questions myself. I suspected that she was taking that boat out to sacrifice herself so the curse would be over. Well, I mean, I thought of that, but I thought like, it's still going to come after your other son. It's clearly already has. You know, it's like, it's going to come for him too. What are, what purpose are you serving? You got to come up with a plan. And then Hoagie ditches. Oh, and then his thing too. Hoagie, he had no plan either. No. In just landing the plane and being like, swim for it. It's not a seaplane. It can't float. That's a million dollar plane. That's a million dollar plane that he clearly doesn't own. Because if he, (laughs) because if he owned it, he would not be doing a water landing like that. Because those are insane. That was insane. Although my favorite scene in the entire movie is when he opens up the door and the shark comes up and he's just like, oh shit. (laughs) Like that's my favorite scene in the entire movie. And again, it's like, duh. You know, what did you think was going to happen? <laughs> you, like, you were seeing this thing from the air. It's so big. And it's bigger than your plane, practically. And sure, let's just, uh, you know, several yards from the boat. <laughs> but instead of, like, tossing out a rope or something like that, I'm just going to crash my plane. And you guys swim for it. You know, you call the Coast Guard or whatever the equivalent to the bohemian coast guard is like hey hey like you know there's a menacing shark out here send some fast go boats out there pick her up but he's gonna land that plane in the water that plane's ruined you're not recovering that plane no well that's what's funny is there's not even any like oh he had a plan but oops i guess i didn't foresee that it's gonna go down no it just immediately (laughs) sinks. just immediately and then we get the death of the shark in this film so we you know the first film by the way uh, there's a great story about the about the first film, about the ending of the first film. It, not to spoil the book, 
But the <laughs> the book ends differently than how it ends in the movie. You know, I, I don't want to spoil it, but let's just say. I remember. It, it's basically Quint has his Captain Ahab moment, you know, and um. kind of takes the shark out, but he ends up getting caught up in the lines of the sinking boat and he drowns. And But Spielberg came up with the, the idea of the compressed air tank uh, explosion, which Peter Benchley, who was on set pretty much every day, uh-huh. uh, was so outraged with that idea. Oh. He was said, this is the most preposterous thing. He said, how do you justify that's insane? Like, he, no one would ever be able to make that shot. Like, what are you right. talking about? And Spielberg said to Benchley, look, if I have them for two hours, I completely have them for two hours, they'll buy the last three minutes of this movie. And he was yeah. right. He was right. But it was such a- Well, cont- it's very Star Wars. You know, it, it, it's like yes. you have to hit this one tiny little spot. Like, yeah. no one could do it, but you're the chosen one because you did. Absolutely. And- Interesting. I wonder if Lucas borrowed that from Spielberg. Because Jaws oh, came out. Oh, interesting. I wasn't really thinking about that time wise. Yeah, yeah. Because that was. Uh, isn't that interesting? What have, done? what have we done? What 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 box have we opened up today? Oh uh, no. So, yeah, no. Because I never thought about that before. But it is kind of similar. Yes, it is. Um. So. It was such a contentious issue between Roy, Sh- I mean, between Spielberg and uh, Benchley that it- Benchley had to be removed from the set. He was causing yeah. such a scene about it that he actually had to be removed. We get to the second film, you know, we, we talked about the electrocution, and then the third one is the grenade. The climax of this film to this day still doesn't make any sense to me no and you talk about and i feel bad these movies sometimes and i get it's hard to shoot on the water but i do feel like am i the only one not getting it did i not see who that was did i not see why that blew up or whatever um so i'm glad to hear that it doesn't make sense to you either and apparently sharks now have vocal cords because they can, yeah. they can roar like lions, which I get it. You know, it's a theat, you know, it's, you know, it's the climax and, and you're shocking the shark to where it keeps jumping out of the water and roaring like a tiger or a lion. Um, <laughs> but again, I'm just going to revert back to what I said earlier. I find this to be a fascinating failure. Yeah. Because I really enjoyed it this time. And especially, um, I just thought there were really like, did not hide the shark from you. No. You know, up close. There's a couple scenes, you know, when, when, uh, when Jake is in, in the little uh, submersible and he just looks to his right and there's the shark right next to him. That is he, the scariest yeah. part when it's like in his blind spot. He's like, <laughs> you know. he's like, Oh, we got I a mean, big fish down here. Scariest <laughs> yeah, is whenever they're in those subs yeah. and it comes up on them. Like, I don't, there's parts of this movie, like that whole, chase sequence between Michael and the shark in the, in the, you know, the sunken wreckage of a ship. Like that's creepy. Mm -hmm. And that's really, I think that's shot really well. Like it's, yeah, we talk about the choppy editing at the beginning and the end of this film. Like you clearly know what is going on and you, there's a real lingering sense of, of peril in that scene when he is being chased by the shark. I think that's brilliant. Well, this is a guy, he did taking a pellet one, two, three. And, um, but also like old TV and old movie, like classical Hollywood style. Yeah. Why it looks great. Yeah. Like that's why, the, that's why the editing choices at the beginning and the end are so perplexing because otherwise it's, a, I don't even want to say it's a competently made film. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a well-made film. 
Yeah. In, in the some script aspects. is pretty wonky. Yeah. But um, yeah, the shots, that's why I was saying it's kind of Douglas Sirk-esque just in, you know, a lot of her gazing off into the horizon, you know, like really beautiful. I mean, of course, the Bahamas and the water and everything are gorgeous anyway, but like it's really, really well done. And um, two and three can be a little grittier sometimes yes you know different parts of them which it's hard again it's just hard to shoot on water yeah and a decision that they made well i guess it was a little bit more controlled with the third one because they weren't shooting on the open ocean in the third one but uh the first two was uh well the first one was was on location martha's vineyard the second one pretty much most of that open water stuff was in the gulf of mexico and you know this one was the bahamas so yeah, I mean that's got, there's got to be some challenges to this. I got to say this, Kelly. I don't think studios are greenlighting any project shot on the open ocean these days. No, well, and I get it. I mean, um, I watched Waterworld not that long ago, Oof. and it's, it's it is a you are taking something on. You know, I can't imagine. Water- you know, it's hard enough to shoot in a city. Waterworld is unbelievable. When I rewatch that movie now. Like I saw it in the theater at in '95, and one of them at 17 at the time, and just couldn't wrap my head around like what I was seeing. Like I did, I don't think I walked away like, yeah, that was okay. I watch that movie now, and my jaws on the floor. Like, holy yeah, I watched shit. it this summer because, <laughs> because um, you know, because of COVID and everything, not getting sun, not going to the beach, not going to pools or anything fun like that, not going to any fun COVID parties. Um, and so I've been watching a lot of like beach movies and like a lot of beach movies and watched Waterworld. And I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, wait a minute. He has gills. <laughs> I had forgotten about that, that he was like the chosen one. I completely forgot about many things in that film. And that is a practical movie. Like, yeah, that, like there's, there's a little CGI here and there, like a little bit, but like that whole, you know, the, you know, the, the, I don't even know how to describe it. Like where he goes to that town, the town, that, that whatever it is, it's like, it's practically like the barge they built in Jaws too, yeah. but it's like a town yeah. floating. And that's like, that's all practical. And, and, and it's just, it's insane. Like uh, at the time it was the most expensive film ever made. And you see every yeah. bit of that on screen. Mm-hmm. You know, the only thing that I think is lack, the, the only thing that doesn't make that movie like a resounding, everyone has to see it, is I don't like the personality of Kevin Costner's character in the film. Mm-hmm. Like, I, the Mariner. I don't, I don't find <laughs> him to be likable. And I like my protagonists to be likable. Like, I even think Mad Max is, was more likable than the Mariner. And I know that's who he's trying to emulate. Uh huh. So hmm. that's just a theory, just a theory of mine. But that's, I mean, this is, it's clearly a, an homage to Mad Max. Yeah. Especially yeah, Mad Max 2. I haven't thought about the likability thing that much. I, I always think that I don't care, you know, as long as they're interesting. For me, likability plays a big role, even in like bad guys, though. That's why, like, like, that's why we all love Heath Ledger's Joker. You know, because even though he's a bad guy, he's got a real charisma and likability to him. Yeah. And I, I frankly think Bane is one of the best villains, Batman villains of all time, at least Tom Hardy's portrayal of the, of, of mm-hmm. him. And so, but with the Mariner, he was just so stiff and just so. Well, 
that's kind of the Costner thing, you yeah. know. He's uh, like he's. I don't know. Are you watching? <laughs> I love Kevin Costner. You watching Yellowstone? But, um, I have seen it, but I ha- I'm not like caught up with right. it. The parents are obsessed. Yeah, I watched the first episode. So he, yeah, he, it's it's very stylish. Yeah, it's Costner being it's Costner. It's exactly style, how you yeah. described him. So he's just um, you know, he's a he's an elemental fellow. Yeah. You know, he he doesn't. I mean, sometimes he's a Bull Durham type of character, and I always enjoy that quite a bit. And Tin Cup. Like, I like the Ron Shelton ones a lot. Yeah. Um, in terms – like, I know he has a lot of personality, but he's also fine doing the Western thing of I don't talk a ton and yeah. I'm gruff and difficult to, you know, get to open his heart. I guess my first real Kevin Costner experience was Field of Dreams, so that sort of set the template for me. Um, yeah, and then of He's course, very likable and fun in that one. And then of course, I <sighs> Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Mm-hmm. I, um, thirty years out from that film, and I still don't know how I feel about it. <laughs> and I've seen it three times, three or yeah. four times. Well, it's one too that going back because I went on, I went back on that one maybe within the last year, and it just brings you back to such a different time in filmmaking. Yeah. You know when that was the just blockbusters were made in such a different way back then. Yeah. The whole thinking process. I need to reevaluate that film because I've been, uh, you know, I don't try to be negative about any movies, uh, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't have positive memories of that film. And I, I need to, re- yeah. I need to rewatch it. I remember the hype leading up to that. That was one of the most anticipated films Ever yes, for me. I was so excited. I was made Marion for Halloween. <laughs> See, I got an archery set for Christmas that year. That's how obsessed I was. And it wasn't like a high-tech Rambo archery set. It was uh, a hair above a Fisher-Price archery set. But Yeah. So, um, but I remember the, the hype for that movie was so intense with the Brian Adams song constantly oh, playing. So that I, I almost think the first time I saw it, I was almost let down. Because of the anticipation, mm-hmm. but I was young. I was thirteen. I mean, that was that was the same year Terminator Two came out. So you yeah, know, you know, when are we get it down to that one? <laughs> uh, I know. I don't know what I was doing. That I the two people I was obsessed with were Maid Marian um, and Linda Hamilton. <laughs> 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 that like I was practicing um, pull ups, and I was having my mom make me a costume that looked like olden times. I love it. That's awesome. All at the same time. So, we already know what's number one on your list. Yes. So, guys. so excellent. So, well, Kelly, thanks for, thanks for just kind of shooting the shit with me about the Jaws films and providing me with a very interesting top 10 list. There was some films on there <laughs> that I am, I'm going to watch bait tonight. That one I've, that's the one I've settled on for now, but I'm going to make sure to check all the boxes when it comes to the ones that you've mentioned. Well, uh, now, also, I would suggest if you're just going for scenes in movies that are not shark movies, um, there are some good ones, those that have been happening too, like uh, Martin Lawrence in the beach bum has very good shark scene. Oh, okay. Um, and also, if you haven't seen Lucio Fulci's zombie, I forget how many minutes in it is, but there's a shark versus zombie scene, and it's a real shark. And I don't know what they did to the shark, how they tranquilized it. I don't know what happened. But there, there are some good shark scenes, standalones as well. I'm going to ask you a question about the movie Orca. Yes. Because <laughs> I... I tried to watch that film 20 years ago, 
So I'm 42 now. Oh, and you haven't been back. I know I couldn't get past the, I couldn't get past the scene. (laughs) You know the scene. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. Uh, It's really bad. And it was fucking traumatizing to watch. It is. And very emotional. It's incredible. But my God, do you ever create motive? Do you ever yeah. create, you want to talk about well, the inciting see, yeah, incident? That's an instance where it's like, I have no problem believing that. Yeah. Because they set it up. Yes. Yes. And, 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 and orcas are in immensely intelligent creatures. So I buy all that. But the question for me is, I haven't seen the film beyond that part because I turn it off like, nope, nope. If this, oh, is, if this, if oh, this, you're in for a treat. if this is what this film is, like that was so disturbing. No, that is just the, now you get it. Now you know why it's happening. You care. You're on the side of the orca, basically, <laughs> from that point on. But it gets good. Like, there's a – the climax is in icebergs. Oh, wow. You know, like, it, like um, what's his name? Sliding off of the uh, – Richard Harris? Is yep, that who? Yep, yep, Richard Harris. Yeah. Um, sliding off of the, the, like, glaciers and icebergs, like, as the orca's, like, slamming on him and popping him up in the air. It's really good. And then there's a – a house on stilts too that comes down because the orca attacks it and gets Bo Derek and yeah it's there's a lot of good stuff in there. Would you say because like many films, Jaws created or I'm sorry, Jaws inspired a lot of homages, a lot of frankly ripoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, would you consider Orca to be elevated above the status of a Jaws ripoff? I would, because I think, I'm pretty sure it's Dino De Laurentiis, and it was, like, they wanted, he wanted to, I believe, if I'm remembering this correctly, he wanted to feel for the shark, and I, you know, in Jaws, I guess, and and so I feel like turning it around in that way and putting it from the perspective, essentially, of the orca is different enough. Yeah. Yeah. I think to make it its own unique thing. And also the setting that like Alaskan or wherever the heck they are, um, is very unique. So I, I think it's definitely not the usual ripoff. And it's a recommend. It is a recommend. Yeah. Although that one scene, just know it doesn't get worse than that. Okay. Okay. Cause I just remember going, no, 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 I can't do this. Yeah. I, I, I saw that on TV as a kid and I was like, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> like, I didn't quite understand what had happened. And I was like, it can't be what I think it is. And you know, it was. that's like my, that's like the one thing, like animals and peril and stuff like that. Even though this is not real, it's, I know it's not really happening. But it just seems so visual. It was so visceral seeing that on the screen. And you know it could happen. Exactly. Exactly. You know that kind of guy is out there. He is fishing and would totally do that. Yeah. So, we're being real cryptic listeners about this scene. So, if you haven't seen the movie. It's not one that you want to have ruined because you will go through that process of what just happened. And I swear that movie is rated. I need to know what that movie is rated. Hold on. The ratings compared to now, even with these Jaws movies, are so crazy. Like what they got away with in a PG. This movie is, yeah, I just checked. Orca is rated, it's from 1977. It's rated PG. Now, to be wow. fair, they didn't have a but PG. But it's kind of nature like, and they were very into nature's rough, you know? Yeah. That's what it's like, you know, even in like Disney films um, of the era. It's it, it, so you got away with more if it was like, oh, well, that's, you know, the hard life 
out in the elements. Yeah, and the uh, the PG-13 rating didn't get introduced until 1984, so right, there was right. a little more wiggle room between it was it was G, PG, and then right to R. So you had a lot mm-hmm. more wiggle room. There's a like make no mistake about it. Jaws, Jaws two. Uh, Orca, these things would all be slapped with a PG-13 rating. If they were to be retroactively rated again by the MPAA, they would all be hit with, with, uh, PG-13 ratings, without a doubt. Yeah. So. In a second. Although, you know, another thing about the original Jaws, they were playing it, I believe, like a, a pop-up kind of drive-in here. And they, I mean, it's hard enough to see at a drive-in, but in the beginning where it's like day for night stuff, they popped up um, the light in it. So where it's skinny dipping, you saw everything. (laughs) I don't know why they did that, but yeah, instead, you know, he's got it tastefully kind of shrouded. That was gone at this recent drive-in. Interesting. <laughs> so I don't know about the PG-13 was the point. If Fair uh, enough. Yeah, no, fair enough. Um, if they did that. <laughs> they like everything bright now. Uh, all right, Kelly. So if people want to follow you on social media, are you, are you pretty active on there at all? or Not super active. <laughs> I'm barely active. More lately now that we're all trapped and that's the only way to socialize. Perfect. All right. So if people want to follow you on Twitter, how can they do that? Um, I would just look up my name, Kelly Goodner. You could also look up at Nelbloggett, I believe. That's okay. what my handle is. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm glad that you're doing all right, and I'm glad you're keeping your sanity amongst the uh, the, the situation the whole world finds itself in. And uh, Yeah. Well, I think it's good to watch movies about how scary it is if you leave your house <laughs> and then... It will make you stay inside. I, I agree. And I've been watching and stuff. And thank you. Thank you for giving me some some recommendations. Like, I, I noticed I was going to watch Bait, but I'm almost like, I'm almost thinking, maybe I'll watch Orca tonight. Because... Yeah, it's... The cast is so fun. Like, Robert Carradine, he's gone in a second, practically. Like, that... You have someone as huge as a, a Carradine, a Robert Carradine, and nope, gotta go. Oh, I love it. I love it. So, thank you again. My goodness. Let's... Let's promise ourselves right now, it's not going to be two years before no, you come on. I don't know how it happened. I've been very busy with writing stuff for the past two years, but not that busy. I'm glad you're back on. <laughs> we'll definitely talk soon and uh, continue to stay safe out there. And I, lo- I look forward to chatting again. And my name is Dana Buckler, and thank you so much for listening. <laughs>